Welcome to week 43. Uh, we're in Titus chapter 2. We're looking at what probably is the most powerful lesson of, of all of our small group lessons that we do. And that's God's recovery program. And what I mean by that, we were all born sinners by nature, by our choices, and by God's divine decree. So we are unable to please or serve God as we are. So what is God's solution? God is a savior. He wants to save us, forgive us, and make us useful. That's what sanctification is. In fact, I wrote that. Sanctification is being useful to God, plus it helps us have the best life possible. It helps us have the best marriage that's possible. It helps us to have the best family and the best ministry and the best way to be doing our work and, and everything else in life by being sanctified, by being useful to God. So Titus 2, which we're going to look at today, uh, and, and I'm going to wrap this lesson uh, sitting down at this table as if I was uh, sitting across from you. And I do read some of the comments, not all of them, there are too many, but, but even today I saw a comment, two comments, one from someone somewhere in Scandinavia and another one from someone in England. And they said, I got my coffee, I'm sitting across the table. I've got my Bible, I've got my notebook, and I'm ready. And I thought, that's how I think. I think like you're right there. So we're going to look at Titus 2. I'm going to show you the only curriculum for discipling every person in the church. And as, we, as I show you my Bible, what you'll see is God says, Titus, through the Apostle Paul, inspiring him, Titus, write to the older and younger men and the older and younger women. So older men, older women, younger women, younger men. So those are the four groups, older men, older women, younger women, younger men. Now, what I always ask when I'm sitting in my small group, who else could be in the church than women and men, older and younger? So it's the only place where in one small space of eight verses, every group in the church is addressed by God through Paul in the book of Titus. Unbelievable. So, Roman culture. Now, you might think, yeah, Paul sent Titus to, you know, kind of like this vibrant men's study group or this, this um, unbelievable flourishing women's ministry. No. What we're going to see is Roman culture. The Roman world in the, the second half of the first century is totally on display at Crete. Crete was a Roman province that was just beating with the heartbeat of Rome. And what were they like? This is what Titus 1 tells us. They were always liars, brute beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's Titus 1. What does that mean? The people that, that God told Paul to send Titus to minister to were total had total untrustworthiness. They were always liars. They had total out-of-control lives. They were like brute beasts, like wild animals. And they were living totally in pursuit of their appetites, which means the, the Bible words are lazy gluttons, living 
uh, as Paul said to the Philippians, whose God is their stomach. Whatever they want is what they live for. Okay, now look at this. Kind of sounds like life in America and the developed world these days. People are lying and living like animals and living for their desires. And it's just the same mission field that Paul sent Titus to that God is sending you and me to. So let, let me get down uh, here to the table. And I'm going to sit across the table uh, from you. What you need is your Bible. Uh, and this is my Bible. And all of you that ask regularly, what kind of a Bible is that? Look down in the description of this video later and you'll see a link to, you can actually look at a picture of it. You need your notebook. Again, down in the links, there's a, a picture of what kind of notebook I use. You'll need throughout this week, now I'm just introducing Titus 2, but you're starting today and for this whole week going through this, this passage. And so I encourage you to use your MacArthur Study Bible to read the scripture, uh, you know, the Titus chapter 2 Bible that's the top part of each page. Let me get to Titus 2 here. And then to read all those footnotes that are at the, the bottom. And so when you open to Titus chapter 2, and it would have helped if I would have put a marker in here. This is a very long passage. See, Titus. All of this is introductory in the MacArthur Study Bible, kind of the background notes, the title, the background. Then the outline is on this page. Then over here, up this portion is the scripture. This portion are the footnotes. Now, this is what I told you. Those footnotes, and there are 25,000 of them, are kind of like going to seminary, going for a theological education. If you read the scripture, tie it to the footnotes, and then follow uh, the little notes it says, like some of the notes say, look at the table in the back uh, where these topics are, or it'll say, uh, look at this uh, uh, money's weights and measurements, or it will uh, take you to an Old Testament or New Testament epistle. And, and that is what makes this like a theological education. Reading the MacArthur Study Bible is like going to Bible school or seminary for a year. It's so powerful and life-changing. And then also down in the, the description, I tell you about a theology, a systematic theology that helps you in uh, understanding, you know, the sanctification terms or justification or imputation or whatever theological term. So here we go, and let's go through the slides. And if you look down... Uh, I, I can't help but tell you, Bonnie and I were able to be right here um, uh, about six weeks ago. We were teaching uh, a two-month segment in Greece uh, for quite a few weeks and then in Italy for a few more weeks. This happens to be, you're looking right at the Church of Titus, the Byzantine Church of Titus. That's Christian Roman Empire after Constantine, uh, 313 A.D., this is the pulpit right there of the Church of Titus in the ancient Roman city. And I'll write it for you because a lot of you look stuff up, I know, on uh, Google, of Gortin, G-O-R-T-Y-N, uh, or Gortis uh, are on some maps. But this is the church that's built over the site where uh, Titus is buried after he was martyred, after he pastored in this area 
when Paul sent him here. Uh, we're on week 43, we're doing Titus 2, and here's what we're studying. God's recovery program is sanctification. Now remember, we're on a year-long journey of understanding and applying God's Word. And we're in the 43rd week of that journey. We're looking at this special chapter of Paul's three-chapter uh, pastoral epistle to Titus. And I already said this on the whiteboard, this is God's curriculum for every person in the church. Now, some of you regularly ask, uh, how do you get to that playlist? Well, right there is what's in the, the uh, description of this video, the YouTube playlist that has all 43 of these week's studies, all the previous ones in this one, plus I give you some bonus material, uh, kind of longer studies on some of the key topics like angels and prophecy and the birth of Christ and, and biblical fasting, all different, you know, the Old Testament law and Moses and everything. I call those, like um, last week we had 42A, well, we had lesson 42, we had lesson 42A, we had lesson 42B. So that's what you'll find right down here at this playlist. But the purpose of it, never forget, I want you to understand the Word of God. Which, which is the, the biblical uh, theological division called hermeneutics, how to properly, hermeneutics, there we go, how to interpret the Bible properly. And many people do that, but you know what most people don't do? This is why the church around the world is so weak. We don't apply it, and so that's one of our big emphases. Now, how do we do that? Well, we survey the whole Bible. How do we do that? Out of the 1,189 chapters, I've picked 52 that are the greatest. Uh, what I mean by that is they are the ones that summarize all of the major doctrines, all of the attributes of God, all of the key devotional elements for, for our lives. Uh, so when we cover those 52 chapters or passages, we use the devotional method. That's writing a title like I did, you know, back here behind me on the whiteboard, finding all the lessons, which I'll type out and show you in just a minute, uh, in my journal, and the truths and the doctrines. You just write those in your own words, and then look at this. You write an application prayer in what you want God to do in your life to change us uh, by his truth. And I'll, I'll actually show you and read to you and pray my prayer. Okay, let's jump in the book of Titus. This is the book of Titus. And basically, if I could summarize the whole book, not just chapter two, it would be live as reflections of Christ. Now, look up here on the board with me. Uh, what Paul sent Titus to do is to go and invade Crete and train all the people that he could in Crete how to live as reflections of Christ. Now, now what do I mean by that? I've told this story before, but, but I'll tell you again. Uh, there is this, this um, lady that, that was living the wild party life in Great Britain, and drugs and alcohol and immorality and everything else, and she finally wore herself out. She was... Uh, well past middle age and, and starting to not look like she was part of the party circuit. She was getting a little old, so she was getting discouraged. She was sitting on the tube, you know, that's the London subway. She took her smartphone out, 
and she typed into Google, hope. And guess what Google offered up in her search results? A video from one of our series called The Season of Hope. In fact, we're running it uh, right now. I call it Doses of Hope uh, as, as we are you know, coming on to this, this Christmas uh, season. And, and she couldn't believe, she watched that little six minute clip which was me giving the gospel at the end of a concert about how to live in hope in a dark and hopeless world. And this is what she said. She sent me a note. She said, I was sitting there with my earbuds in, watching that video. She said, God got a hold of my heart, convicted me of my sin, the way I'd been living, my hopelessness and darkness. And she said, when you said to bow your head, she said, I just instinctively did that right there on the subway. And she said, I wonder what the people sitting around me thought. Probably nothing, because everybody acts crazy nowadays and nobody pays attention to anybody. But she said, I bowed my head. And then you said, if you want uh, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, raise your hand right now like you're reaching out to him right where you are. And she said, on the London tube, speeding between stations, I raised my hand to God. And she said, in my heart, I just cried out to him and said, I believe you. I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Christ died in my place. I know that you're my only hope. Save me. She said, I'm writing to you because that was six months ago. She said, my life has totally changed. I am a completely different person. She said, I, I'm not in the party scene anymore. I'm not endlessly going to concerts and bars and picking up or trying to be picked up. She said, everything is changing. And she said, I'm studying the scriptures in your small group. Did you know life in America in the developed world today is just like the Roman culture. We're surrounded by people that are lying because they're covering up and hiding and, and trying to look good and they're out of control. They're, they're being driven by their appetites. They're just pursuing their appetites. That's kind of description of where we are. And that's why this study is so important, because God has put you and me right into wherever we live to reflect Jesus Christ. And that's what I hope you get out of this lesson, that, that it's not just an academic exercise to learn more about Titus and the book of Titus and sanctification and the first century and, and Bible study methods, but how to, now look back at the slide. The book of Titus is how to live as a reflection of Christ into a very dark and needy world. The first chapter is specifically to the elder shepherd pastors of the assembly, and they were to be explaining God's expectations. And the second chapter are the expectations of God, his curriculum for every saint. And we're supposed to display or reflect Christ. That's what doctrine's about. And then the third chapter of Titus, that we're only covering the second, but I want you to know the whole book, are God's plan for life on earth and we're supposed to reflect the good works. Remember Jesus went around doing good works? And I'll show you. In fact, look over at my Bible. I marked them. That if you see, starting right here in, in Titus chapter 1, and starting in verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Uh, disqualified for every good work. See, God is looking at our works, what comes out of our life. Now you see I circled works and works. This is the negative. Now look at this. 
in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of, what's that? Good works. Now look. Zealous for good works. That's verse 14. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1. In every good work, be ready. Look down at chapter 3, verse 8. Maintain good works. Look at verse 14. Let the people also learn to maintain good works. Do you see what what the Lord is interested in? Uh, Look back at, at the slides. Live as reflections of Christ. How do we reflect Christ? We live reflecting his good works. We should be the model worker, the model husband or wife or child, the model uh, you know, person that, that is a citizen of any country on earth. We should reflect Christ's good works. Anybody that's a Christian uh, should be reflecting that winsomeness of Christ. Now, that was the book of Titus. Let's talk about the person of Titus. Remember, the pastoral epistles, uh, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, were written to people. Um, Titus was one of Paul's trusted representatives, uh, one of his most trusted workers. He accompanied Paul and Barnabas. Uh, we read about that in Galatians 2 and, and Acts 15 as they're at the Jerusalem Council. Then he sent on a restoration mission to Corinth. And you remember when we studied a few weeks back Corinth. That was Paul's biggest project. Paul wrote more chapters to Corinth, 29 chapters, and more books. He wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then from Corinth, he wrote Romans and Titus and 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So there are six of the New Testament books that are attached to Corinth and more chapters written directly to them than to any other church. It's unbelievable. That was Paul's biggest project. Why? Because they really needed sanctification. Titus took his severely worded letter, uh, confronting their sins. If you remember, they they had this sinning member that was worse than the pagans. And then Titus was given instructions to enforce at Corinth, so he went as Paul's representative to Corinth, And then he leaves Corinth to meet Paul up in Macedonia. And whenever we say Macedonia, uh, that's either up in Thessalonica, Philippi, or Berea. Those three uh, churches that that Paul established in Macedonia, which is kind of northern Greece. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 2, we read about that and chapter 7. Then here's how we bump into Titus now. Paul left him to establish the church in Crete. So that's what's going on. Now, what was the task for Titus? What kind of people can God transform? Well, do you remember, this is what I showed you from Titus chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. One of them, that was a Cretan, a prophet of their own, said, and this is a a quotation uh, from Epimenides, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, while we were teaching in Crete, we actually went to uh, Epimenides' hometown, which uh, he lived by the, the palace, which we call Nassos, on Crete. It's near Heraklion. And so in 600 BC, this guy named Epimenides lived in Crete and wrote that the Cretan culture was liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, Paul quotes that 600 years later and says, hey, Epimenides had it right. These people are, uh, you know, totally untrustworthy, totally out of control. 
totally in pursuit of their appetites. They're always liars, always brute beasts, always lazy gluttons. Okay, now look what verse 13 says. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. This word sound is hugaino. It means healthy. Healthy in the faith. Healthy in biblical doctrine. So Titus's mission was to reach people that were total that that had total untrustworthiness, total out of control living, totally were pursuing their appetites, uh, as Paul exactly said, always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, quoting Epimenides. And where was Paul when he wrote that? Do you remember? Paul was in Corinth writing the epistle to those in Crete where he had sent Titus. Isn't that interesting? When you see it on the map, remember a few weeks back when we were uh, over here in Galatia? Remember we were here? Do you remember when we were doing spiritual warfare uh, in the book of Ephesians? Uh, do you remember when, when uh, Paul was at the Jerusalem Council uh, in Acts 15? He's headed to be under uh, the law court of, of Nero in Rome. And, and this is the New Testament world. Uh, he spent so much time in Corinth and Sancria. Acts 17 in Athens, and all of this up here is Macedonia. It's amazing to see it. But Paul wrote to Titus from Corinth to Crete. And Roman Crete in century one was a world of sin-scarred lives. You can't live the way Titus 1, 12, and 13 says without getting scarred. Uh, messed up marriages. I mean, not at all knowing, understanding, or living what God planned for marriage, and which, of course, produces confused families, which has family members who have sin-scarred lives who end up having a messed-up marriage, and they confuse another generation. I mean, that was the kind of vicious cycle that was going on uh, in Roman Crete century one, and might I add, today. Again, remember... Paul wrote 13 epistles. Remember, from Corinth, he wrote 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Romans, and Titus. He's writing Titus here near the end of his ministry. Uh, he wrote to Timothy when he was up in Macedonia. And now he's gotten down to Corinth after he was released from prison between 62 and 64. And then he's going to get back in prison and write 2 Timothy. Now, I want you to enjoy a quick visit to Roman Crete. And what I've done is, this is a uh, video that I took when we were teaching on the island of Crete as part of our lessons when we were teaching and serving, uh, which Bonnie and I are full-time missionaries, and we teach in Bible institutes, and we teach uh, in, in all different settings, some in seminaries and some in churches, but mostly classes like this, only remote education uh, through training centers. But while we were in Greece, look at this, as, uh, let me get this to work, there you go. I don't know if there can be a more thrilling place after years, decades of teaching on Titus II than to walk around this archeological remain of the Church of Titus. A vivid reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ took root 2000 years ago, right here in Crete, uh, right here in Gorton, the uh, capital of the Roman Crete province. And right here, this huge church from the 6th century reminds us that Christianity 
flourished here for eight centuries until the Saracens came and swept through and, and drove out the Christians. But this is a place, a memorial, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Titus declares in chapter 1, sends the grace of God, as Titus chapter 2 says, so that we can live, as Titus 3, 5 says, that new life that Jesus Christ gives us. What a blessing to be here and to be reminded of the power of God unto salvation and the grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness. Hmm. So I better not go on that because I would talk too long, but it was a thrill to be in what is the largest archaeological ruins in all of Greece, which is the two square miles. This church right here that you see is right in the center of two square miles of Roman ruins. This was a vast city of over 100,000 people in Roman times, in the time of Paul, and in the time he commissioned Titus to, uh, to plant churches and to serve the Lord there. Well, God's recovery program is always sanctification. John 17, 17 says, in Jesus' prayer, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the truth of God, God's word, is the sanctifying power that God uses to, well, look over there. Do you remember? Sanctification makes us useful to God and gives us the best life, the best marriage, the best family, the best ministry, the best way to be useful to God on earth. And it's not just for me. Look, it's for every person in the church, older and younger men, older and younger women. That's everybody. And that's what God wants. Back to the slides. So that's God's recovery program. So sanctification by God's truth, remember, sanctify them through thy truth, it says, makes us useful to God. And the best life is a sanctified life. The best marriage is a sanctified marriage. The best family is a sanctified family. And the best ministry is a ministry that's sanctified by the word of God. And, and I always say this, if you're looking for a passage to study in depth that can change your life, here it is. And if you want a special passage to memorize and meditate upon that can transform your thinking and life's direction, here it is. It's, it's this curriculum. And if you want to go through life confident that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do each day, here it is. It's the pathway of usefulness to God. Because Titus 2's curriculum is for everyone in Christ church. The older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men. And that's what we're going to look at as we walk through each of these verses. And so the curriculum that God sent in this chapter we're going to study has 12 specific character qualities for godly men and 12 for godly women. So if you want to be God's godly man, he tells you how. And if you want to be God's godly woman, he tells you how. So lives transformed by sanctification is kind of the theme of everything that Paul did. In fact, for just a minute, remember, if you look at Paul's ministry, Paul in Acts 9 to 28 was God's ambassador. And look what he did. He was saved here. Then God starts the sanctification work by training him in Arabia. Jesus met with him. Then he sends him home to his home church to get trained. And then he goes to Antioch where his training continues. So Paul is sanctified by what we would call discipleship, then he takes off and starts teaching that sanctification. 
And he does so on his first missionary journey, uh, going from his home church in Antioch around through here and back down to Jerusalem. On his second missionary journey, uh, he, he goes from Jerusalem up through Asia Minor, through Greece, back to Asia Minor, and then back to Jerusalem. On his third missionary journey, he leaves from his home church in Antioch, goes through Asia Minor, goes over here, cuts down through uh, Greece, up, back up. He really liked it there. Sails back through Ephesus and goes to Jerusalem. Then, remember, he's captured, put in prison right here in Caesarea. And he sails, sails, sails. And in that journey to his trial before Nero, he goes to Crete. And that's where this whole epistle starts. And where we find him is right here. He's in his imprisonment after sailing through Crete, and he dispatches somewhere while he's in Rome, Titus, to go and plant churches. And then after he's released from this imprisonment and goes to Corinth, he writes this, what we call a pastoral epistle uh, to Titus. But if you were to summarize all of Paul's life and ministry, there are six powerful lessons Paul learned as God sanctified him. You see, he didn't just teach sanctification, he lived it. During his life and ministry and all of his struggles, look what God wanted him to learn. He wanted him to learn to wait and study all he could. God kept him uh, for three years in Arabia to learn his theology. He had to wait longer because seven years in, in uh, the time that he was in his home church. Then he had to go for three more years to be personally discipled by Barnabas. So study all you can, wait for God's timing, growth takes time, listen to a Barnabas because everyone needs discipleship. Wow, Paul had to learn that. I'm sure he was just chomping at the bit to get out there and reach the world. But God says, mm, mm, mm. look at this. You need three, seven, 13 plus years. Altogether about 14 years Paul was trained. Then, look at this, he, he does all those missionary journeys in 10 years. Run the race because God can do so much in short order. And he spent 10 years on the mission field. And then look at this, learn contentment because God can use us anywhere. Oh, just for a minute, look up. I just got a note from, well, I, I got a lot of notes like this, but this one touched my heart this morning. This man said, I'm 62 years old. I'm, I'm, my family tells me I'm starting into dementia. He said, I'm really having trouble, uh, you know, remembering things and everything else. So he said, I decided that I was going to get into this study as long as I have my mind left to do the study. And he said, this man, this 62-year-old man, he lives down in the south of the United States. And he says, I've started writing everything down in my journal so I don't forget what I've learned. He said, I've started marking in my Bible so I don't forget what I learned. And this is what he said. I am going to joyfully serve the Lord in this era of my life until I can't remember anything. Wow. That really, I mean, today is Sunday and, and Bonnie and I were getting ready to go to church and fellowship with all the believers. But before all that, I read that note and as I sat there, at church this morning. 
I looked around, and I, I looked around because there are several people that are quite elderly, and, and if you know what I mean, you talk to them, and, and it's like they don't quite remember who you are. And I thought, this fella is just like so many in, in America these days that's just on the onset of, of slowly losing all of our abilities we used to have. And he said, I'm going to use my last days to serve the Lord. Do you know what most people do? They get depressed or they go on this, this wild journey to do everything they've always wanted to do and enjoy everything. And you know what this man, this 62-year-old man said? I'm going to spend my last lap getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his word better than I've ever known. And I'm going to find all the truths I can for God to change my life and sanctify me. And then I'm going to share it with other people. Look back at the slide. Learn contentment because God can use us anywhere. Think of Paul's 10 years in prison. And in fact, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's is like being in prison. And do you know what? Paul was content as, as that prison and his, his, his martyrdom was on the horizon. He says, God can use me to my last breath. I want him to use me anywhere. And here's the last lesson. Love Jesus more than everything because no one's indispensable. You know, we're going to lose our ministry and our friends and, and even our abilities and our cognition and everything else. But what we'll never lose is the one we love supremely, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's my journal. I typed it out for you. Uh, it's week 43, Titus 2, the curriculum. I've already told you that. Christ's church was born into a sin-warped, sin-darkened world of mixed-up marriages, sin-scarred lives, and confused families. But here's the key. Men and women who were gloriously saved did not automatically become great wives and mothers or great husbands and fathers. When they came to Christ, they were forgiven. God graciously gave them everything they needed to become godly wives, mothers, husbands, and fathers. But they needed something else. They needed worship services. That's why the local church is so important. That taught them, that's why the preaching of the word is so important, to believe correctly. And then, look at this, they needed small group discipleship times to learn how to behave correctly. Did you know a lot of people believe correctly, but they haven't quite learned how to behave correctly? How do, how do you learn that? These new believers needed coaching training, modeling, and encouraging in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Godly behavior is a series of choices, and those men and women had to be nurtured in daily skills that would lead them to loving marriages and families. That was the vital ministry which is captured in our chapter, Titus 2. This is what Titus 2 is about. Christ's church used coaches in godly living. The whole second chapter is about how to Pour your life into others. And Christ's church grew into the potent force for changing the world in quiet nurturing sessions that Titus II men and women performed in practical discipleship. Just as important as the preaching and teaching of the doctrines of God's word was the modeling and nurturing of individual saints through practical hands-on lessons in godly living. And the building blocks of Christ's church are spirit-filled men and women whose lives are given daily as obedient servants of God. God wants men and women that will mentor, nurture, and coach godly living for his church. 
These individuals believe that God called them to touch one life at a time for his glory. Pause with me and look up. Do you realize that you don't need to spend, uh, let's see, how many years of my life? I, I went into school at age six in K6. I was a slow, you know, I didn't get K4 or K5. I didn't get to kindergarten until I was six. I did not graduate. I was in school from 1962 to 1999. Did you know that? I'm a slow learner. I was in school for 37 years. I was enrolled in some form of school, you know, all of grade school and then high school. Then I went into community college and then I went into the university and then I went into graduate school. And after graduate school, I went into my doctoral work where for 10 years I was commuting uh, to a satellite location of Dallas Seminary to get my doctorate until 1999. I was enrolled every semester from 1962 to 1999 in some form of continuing or initial education. You know what? I had a lot of training. And I meet people all the time, and, and they come up to me at conferences or, or at church. Like, uh, you know, this week at church, someone walked up, and they looked at me, and they looked at me, and they looked at Bonnie, and they walked over to her and, she, and said, he's on YouTube, and you're the one that, that records him on YouTube. I watch those every day. And I thought, yeah, and you know what they think? They think you need to go to school for 37 years to serve the Lord. No. Do you know the only thing we need to do to serve the Lord? Get saved, surrender to the Holy Spirit, allow him to transform our life as we read his word and obey it, and then find someone that we say, hey, can I share with you what I'm finding in God's word and how God is changing my life. Now look back at the slide. That's exactly what was going on since the first century. Titus 2, men and women have practical discipleship. They model and nurture other saints. They, they tell them, mentor and nurture and coach them how to obey the Bible, okay? Let's go through the lessons I found. In Titus 2, 1 and 2, so look in your Bible and look over here in my Bible. See the first two verses of Titus 2. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. Now look back over here at my slides. Titus was to teach the godly older men to pursue Six spiritual goals, and I just read them to you. Okay, next slide. Here they are. Sober, that's what the King James, New King James says. Sober-minded, English Standard. Temperate, New American NIV. By the way, those are my favorite translations of the Bible. There are, there are many. There are dozens. Those are my favorite. But notice, they're all similar. Sober, sober-minded, temperate. This is what I call that, to apply that. When I disciple people, I say, sober, that Greek word right there in Titus 2, verse 1, means to maintain a balanced life. Why? Because we live in an obsessive, compulsive world. Secondly, be sober, be reverent. That means get serious about God. Why? 
We're living in a world that's amused. Uh, do you remember what everybody spent their, their check on during COVID from the government? Bigger TVs and games. That's, that's what uh, the, the newspaper, uh, Wall Street and Bloomberg said, that it was a fantastic, amazing amount of purchasing of amusements with our $600 checks we got from the government. Thirdly, temperate. What does that mean? To live wisely. Why? Because the world around us is living foolishly. Sound in faith. Now, by the way, this is the goal for every man. It's for older men should be there. Every man should have that as their goal, to be sober, reverent, temperate, and sound in faith. What does sound in faith mean? It means to guard a healthy mind. Remember I told you that healthy doctrine, healthy mind, hugaino, how to be healthy? Why? We live in a sick world, and it's not just COVID. COVID isn't the worst thing. It's the SIN virus that's the worst. And how do you escape the debilitating effects of being in a sick world? By keeping your mind healthy. How do you do that? By being sound in faith. And that's what the whole book of Titus is about. Sound in love. Staying tenderhearted. Why? Because we live in a cruel world and everybody's getting kind of calloused and hardened to all the suffering and all the needs. And, and, you know, if you watch the news or watch any of the video clips of what's going on, all the riots and everything else around the world and in America and the murders and the trials and everything else, we're living in a cruel world. And if we're not careful, we get cynical and sarcastic. And God said, no, I can keep you tenderhearted. And finally, sound in patience or endurance, as the New, America, New International says, or steadfastness. English Standard says, or perseverance, New American. What does that mean? God wants us to finish, hopefully. Older men, God says, should be the most hope-filled people you know. Why? Because we're living in a despairing world. That reminds me of that guy that wrote me and said, I've got dementia. He said, I'm not going to despair. I'm going to finish, hopefully. I'm going to finish, hopefully, by being in the Word and by sharing the Word. Now, you say, that was so fast. How do I remember it? Well, do you see this right here? That is an enlargement of a little tiny pocket-sized, credit card-sized card that I have for you. You can download it right here at our Facebook page in the photos section. Our Facebook page is called 52 Greatest Chapters of the Bible. And that link, by the way, is down in the description because I know it's very hard to type all those. Uh, and you'll see more of these uh, in other slides. All the things like that are down in the description, but it, this is what it says. Titus, two older men, be sober, be reverent, be temperate, sound in faith, sound in love. This little pocket-sized guide you can carry with you and read this passage and say, God, I want you to help me maintain a balanced life and get serious about you and live wisely and guard my mind to be healthy and stay tender and finish hopefully. Secondly, this is what I wrote in my journal. Titus, secondly, was to teach older women to pursue five spiritual goals. And here they are. What does that look like? Well, here's the same chart. It says, be reverent in behavior. Live holy in an unholy world. Not slanderers is the scripture. Speak gracefully in a graceless world. It should be when we talk, people stop and look at us and say, or think, you're different. The way you talk, 
when a waitress makes a mistake, when a workman doesn't do the work the way you paid him for it, when, when someone you manage or your boss disappoints you, you speak with grace, seasoned with salt, like Colossians says. Not given to much wine, disciplining your appetites. Teachers of good things, modeling godliness. Every older woman should be living holy, speaking gracefully, disciplining her appetites, modeling godliness. And look at this. This is the highest goal of every woman in the church, to become one who invests in others in a detached world. What's that? Admonishing, pouring your life, finding someone you can share the word of God with and be an influence in their life. So again, on Facebook, there's one of these little cards for you older women. The goal of every woman should be to be reverent, not slanders, not giving to much wine, teaching good things and admonishing. You say, what does that mean? Live holy, speak gracefully, discipline your appetites, model godliness, and invest in others. Did you know churches would have a lot more uh, people serving if all the older women and older men decided they were going to do what God says his expectations are for them? Wow. Here's the third thing I wrote in my journal that I typed out for you. Titus was to see the younger women were taught to pursue seven spiritual goals. Wow. These are hard goals. Let me go through the chart. I'll, I'll just read them. To this is what the Bible says. Godly younger women were to first and highest, first priority, love their husbands. Second, love their children. Third, to be discreet. Fourth, chaste. Fifth, homemakers. Sixth, good. Seventh, obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What does that mean? To love their husbands is to have self-sacrificing love in a selfish world. By the way, look up and I'll share this and I'll, I'll say it. And I can say it because my wonderful wife, Bonnie, has modeled this for me all of our 38 plus years we've been married. God says that godly younger women are to be trained by an older woman how to be, and, and the word in Greek is philandros. That's one word, philandros. It's two parts. Phileo, which is the Greek biblical word for close friendship. Uh, remember, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, are you even my friend? Are you phileo? Are you my trusted, close, uh, bonded together with me friend? That's phileo. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Do you know what the highest number one priority for every younger woman in the church was to be? That Titus was to train the godly older women to mentor and teach the younger women to be? To be best friends with their husbands. Do you know what makes for a, an amazing best life and marriage and family and ministry and on earth, like my little note over there is? For wives to be taught that men need close friends. And you know what happens? Most younger women are best friends with their mom and their sisters and their kids. And they're married. <laughs> 
and you know their husband has all these needs and everything but they're best friends with their the ones they talk to and spend time with and pursue all day long and then their husband comes home and they're a wife now i know i'm oversimplifying and i know i'm making some of you feel bad but god's model that transformed the ancient world that that changed that cretan culture that culture of rome that you see on the board what God did is he had a group of godly men start living the way they were supposed to live and godly older women starting living the way they're supposed to live. And they both went to the younger and the godly older men said, you need to start acting like we're going to see in a moment. And then the godly older women went to those younger women and said, don't waste your life trying to have the prettiest house and the prettiest you know, complexion and the prettiest everything. And why don't you have as your number one priority, and look back at this slide, to be your husband's best friend. To, and to do that, you have to have self-sacrificing love. And then love your children. Learn how to nurture in a loveless world. And, and not like one person said, don't be an Instagram mom where you're just trying to take pictures of them, but you actually nurture them to have inward beauty and to be discreet. That means focus on God in a foolish world, and to be chaste, which means pursue modesty in an immodest world, and to be a homemaker, which pursue homemaking in a hostile world. In other words, make a place your husband loves to come home to because he's your best friend, and you do everything you can to make that home a place that encourages him, and then to be good, pursue kindness in a harsh world, and then to have a biblical marriage, which is pursuing Biblical submission, do you remember uh, two weeks ago in Ephesians, we talked about that, in a rebellious world. Again, that's right on the card. Uh, you can get here on YouTube, uh, I mean on Facebook. Uh, the Titus two younger women love their husbands, their children, discreet, and all those applications. Then we go to my fourth lesson I found in Titus 2.6 in my journal. Encourage younger men to pursue six spiritual goals. Here they are, to be sober-minded. By the way, this is the one that's in all four of the lists. The, the godly younger and older men, godly younger and older women, all have the same Greek word, sober-mindedness. It's to live a restrained life in an unrestrained world. Show yourself an example following Christ in a Christless world. You know what that means? If someone watches you, they should see you're going a different direction. Uh, that's what showing yourself to be a pattern or an example means or a model. Thirdly, in doctrine showing integrity, believing right, so I behave right. You, you should really get that doctrine down. That's God's expectations and committing to it. Reverence uh, or gravity, seriousness, dignity, or dignified, all different translations of that Greek word, which all mean the same thing, staying focused on God in a world of distractions. Wow. I don't even need to talk about the distractions. We, that's why everybody spent their stimulus check on, on amusements. We're distracted. Incorruptibility. By the way, that word is in the Western manuscript and all the earliest church fathers preached on it. It's not really in the newer versions, the ESV, the NIV, and the NIS, but we do find it in the ancient ones. And this is what it means, and it's fascinating. Keeping an incorruptible life 
in a decaying world. In other words, don't secretly be bringing into your life things that decay your soul. And for young men, that's images and thoughts and, and, and kind of daydreaming and fantasizing about immoral things. That's what decays your soul. And that's what the world is decaying over. Keep an incorruptible life. And that's why that godly older man comes along and says, are you doing what Job says, not looking on a young lady and, and lusting after her? Are you letting your eyes be under God's control in your mind? And then finally, the sixth one, sound speech. Speaking God's word in a godless world. And again, that is on a little card that you can download on Facebook. All six of the elements, all six of the applications. And that's my challenge to you. The fifth thing I found is Titus was encouraged, and, and Titus 2.9 says slaves, which literally was the worker class of the first century, which basically is about 90% of us, or 99. If you read uh, financial things, the 1% runs the other 99% of us. But we're supposed to be obedient, well-pleasing, not answering back, pilfering, showing fidelity, and adorning the doctrine of God in our work. You want to serve God? Be a Titus 2, 9, and 10 worker. And finally, <laughs> uh, look over here at my Bible. You see this, starting in verse 11 of Titus 2, is my very favorite part of Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Grace that saves us, teaches us to say no to sin. Why? So we can live the way God wants us to live, soberly. That's the word that's in all four of the groups, the sober word, righteously. That means God's way, godly, reflecting God in the present age. Remember, the whole book's about reflecting Christ. How do we do it? We look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. That's verse 13, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. Wow. And purify for good works. And look how chapter 2 ends. Paul said to Titus, speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. No, let no one despise you. Okay, back to the um, slides. Uh, the hallmarks of a saved by grace person is they learn to deny ungodliness. They learn to deny lust. They live soberly. They live righteously. They live godly. They look for Christ's return, and they're zealous for good works. Those are actually six spiritual signs of a healthy believer. Now, how did I apply this chapter? I'll pray this as you look at the words. After reading this, and this morning in the dark, thinking about sharing it with you at the Bible study early this morning, I prayed, Lord, I want to live out your plan for my life. And your plan is reflected in your curriculum. And it's captured right here in Titus 2. I can't do this on my own, so help me. See your grace, teach me each day what is ungodly. And I want to deny any ungodliness a place in my life. And I want to deny being squashed into the world and its lusts. And rather, I want to live today zealous as your zealous servant in this world. Thank you for buying me as your own. I love you, my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Well, that leads us to two final challenges. You should find someone whom you can share your findings with and, 
and share your application prayer and pray for us because my wonderful wife joins me. We just got back from two months in Europe. Uh, in the new year, we're gearing up depending on Omicron, you know, how widely this new COVID variant goes. But we're going to go and we're scheduled to teach all the way across the Pacific Rim as well as conferences here and there as full-time equipping missionaries. But before we go, let me say this. I would encourage you, spend this week in Titus 2. And each day say, Lord, I want to see that curriculum that you wrote. I, I, want, I want to experience your recovery program. I want to see you sanctify me, whoever you are. I mean, you might be a, an older man or a younger man or an older woman or younger woman, but you were born just like I was with a sin-scarred life. I grew up, my parents had a messed up marriage. It was very confusing for us kids. So either I could use that as an excuse for the rest of my life and say, I'm going to be like my parents were, or I can say, God, I want you to sanctify me. I want to be useful to you. I want you by your spirit through your word to help my life be sanctified, my marriage be sanctified, my family and my ministry be sanctified. Why? Because we're living in a culture just like the Roman world. And the best thing you can do, because many people want to be activists and they just, they want to overturn the wicked laws of our country, wherever you are, or fight against the repression of all these COVID restrictions. You know what would be a better investment of your spiritual energy? Saying, God, your recovery program is sanctification. There's only one curriculum for discipling every person in the church, and I want you to transform me, and I want to find some other people to pour my life into. That is a better investment of your life strength than fighting against every new rule and regulation that the American government or Western Europe or Australia with all their, and New Zealand is closing the country. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing this and Christians are saying, what should we do? Huh. My answer is this week's lesson. You should become the most godly reflection of Jesus Christ possible. And if you're on lockdown, then start an online Bible study. I have a friend in Northern England. They've been locked down more than they've been unlocked. And you know what he said? It's been the greatest time of his life. He has been WhatsApping this group of about 40 or 50, and they share scriptures, and he prays for every one of them every day. And he said it's the most powerful time in his life and ministry. Why? Because God's plan for us is to submit to our governments, even when they're repressive, only disobey when they directly tell us to do something God has said is sin. And the reason I'm saying that is there's a lot of misplaced spiritual energies that are not being focused on reading, understanding, and applying the Word of God. They're being focused on posting and and you know, memeing and everything else you can do to stand against this current issue. That's why so many are going to be deceived as the Antichrist rises because they never received the love of the truth. If you love the truth, get in the truth. Let the truth transform your life and then start pouring your life into others. That's what Jesus left us to do.
That's Titus 2. And that's my challenge to you this week as you spend the week walking through this great chapter. Next week, we're going to be looking at the incredible truths of, of Hebrews chapter 10. But until then, spend this whole week in Titus 2. God bless you. See you next time.